Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's Bounty episode of the Day Zero Podcast. I'm Spectre with me as Z. For those who missed our binary episode last week, uh, last week's binary episode was our 200th episode. And in that, we go into some meta discussion on the podcast with some interesting stats and whatnot. Uh, Z also put out a blog post. So anyone who might have missed that, feel free to check it out. But yeah, like I said there, thanks to all of you for being with us for these four years uh, and running of the podcast. So uh, yeah. And uh, we'll we'll jump into our topics. So our first few topics are by Port Swigger, and uh, yeah, this first one is on a quirk in Pearl, uh, or sorry, in Curl, not not Pearl, a quirk in uh, Curl that led to a Vuln in Burp Suite and Chrome and potentially other applications that use it. Uh, with Burp Suite specifically, uh, they discovered it via the copy as curl command feature, which is used to uh, replicate burp requests. And they noticed something interesting that was used for passing the body of the request, which is this data binary argument. Um, when they looked at the documentation, uh, the manual states it's meant to contain data as specified. But if you start that data with an at symbol, it'll treat it as a file name and read the file for the request body. Um, so you can probably imagine where this is going. Uh, what happens if you pass some sensitive file, like, say, uh, a private SSH key? Uh, well, depending on the permissions, it could end up reading and sending that file's contents in the request. So it's kind of an interesting bug abusing the subtle functionality of data binary. Um, the recommended fix and what they did with burp is they just switched to using the data raw flag instead of data binary, uh, which doesn't have that at file read behavior. Um, but yeah, like nothing too much to this post. It's just kind of something to be aware of with curl, I guess, uh, especially if you're allowing a user or like untrusted input to reach its way to data binary or uh, could be used for like an argument injection type scenario as well. So yeah, this is one of those bugs. Like, I mean, it is technically a bug in terms of trying to exploit this if somebody were to have to try. Um, and by the way, if anybody hears anything odd with their audio, let me know. I was having some issues before the uh, stream. Um, but yeah, this is one of those things. It would be super hard to actually exploit this. But I kind of wanted to call it out because, yeah, in this scenario, this is where like in Burp where you can right click and you know, copy as curl or in like the Chrome dev tools doing the same thing. Very unlikely somebody's going to actually attack you that way because you've basically got to convince somebody to visit your malicious page with them and make this request that you then copy. Um, unlikely that that's really going to happen, kind of, and you have to go and run it yet, too. So, a lot of user interaction, but there are other cases where you know it's just worth being aware of this. This is something I even forgot curl did this. You know, you I used to use curl you know, a ton back in the day and then kind of stopped um it's one of those features that i feel like you might be able to abuse in other scenarios um where you control some of that data you might be able to leak a file this way if something's using curl as part of like a ssrf or something in the post body if you have that control you may very well be able to abuse this issue in towards that sort of thing and continuing with these simpler command line tricks, the other Portswigger post is on exploiting prototype pollution in Node without the file system. Uh, so they point out that most server-side prototype pollution on Node will abuse some common syncs like the uh, the fork uh, function via the require flag and use the file system or environment variables for for getting code execution. Um, but if you don't have that, obviously tricks like that won't work. Uh, however, Node 
19 introduced the import flag to allow specifying a module to load, uh, which it seems can actually parse inline JavaScript. So you don't need the file system access or environment or anything like that. Um, so kind of just shouting out this feature and how it could be useful in attack scenarios. The no developers don't consider this a security issue. Uh, they they point that out in the post, assumingly because you know getting attacker input to an import argument is quite an ask, and it ultimately is viewed by them as more of a technique than a vulnerability, which I think is fair. Um, so yeah, definitely something to be aware of when targeting node environments, uh, even if it's something you're only going to be be able to use in certain situations. Uh, it is something cool to be aware of. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, again, uh, like I said, something cool to be aware of. I saw this is really just being a trick that it might be worth again knowing about if you run into this scenario, and not much more than that. Yeah, sorry, just a quick thing for addressing some of the stuff in chat. Uh, we seem to be getting view botted really hard right now. So that's like people who are in here asking why, you know, the chat activity is low despite having like 6,000 viewers. Yeah, I, I'm not sure what's going on. Uh, this has never happened to us before. Um, so yeah, apologies for that. Um, I mean, yeah, welcome and hopefully you enjoy the stream. But yeah, we're, we're getting view botted like, yeah. like mad right now. It's... um. I mean, there's not much we can do about it. Um, hitting the front page, so we're hitting that. But this really isn't, you know, generic content for, uh, you know, like gaming content or something. Yeah. All right. So uh, getting into a bit of a more complex blog post and topic, we have an RCE uh, vuln in Azure Pipelines. And I'll let Z get into this one. Yeah. And unfortunately, I tried to look up uh, what episode we covered a very similar issue to this on. Um, so we have covered a very similar thing. This is Azure Pipelines. We've seen this issue happen before. I believe it was in GitHub Actions. Might have been the GitLab one. Uh, it was in one of those two. Uh, but the root of the issue is just being able to have attacker control data reaching the logs from the uh, whatever the pipeline or the task is that's being run. Um, so again, being aware of um, uh, what you're actually logging for any of these actions. Uh, what they found in particular, um, and also just to be clear, that's using this uh, hash or hash or pound pound VSO, you're able to kind of specify certain actions that should be run by whoever's running the task. So the task runner is going to take a look at... Um, at the logs, and then it may perform some action based off of what's in the uh, in the logs. So in this case, um, allow me to find this here. Uh, for scikit-learn, what they found was that if you make a pull request, it's going to take or it's going to parse out the commit message, and the commit message it gets logged out, of course. And if that commit message were to be something malicious, like the VSO, whatever. They could access as a VSO artifact upload, specifying a local file that should be uploaded as like the artifact for the actual run. Um, that's what they managed to do with like the scikit-learn. Actually, exploiting that again, this is going to be a really tough to exploit issue in this particular case using the scikit uh, pipeline. If you think about the scenario here. You have to make a pull request. That pull request has to get merged, and it has to have a malicious commit message. I feel like any developer who's accepting your uh, pull request is probably going to notice this very random, like, uh, pound, pound, VSO 
being in your uh, in your commit message. So it feels very unlikely that somebody's going to pull that off, but it is possible. And again, just a reminder about these sorts of bugs where just having that little bit of access to put some attacker-controlled information into the logs can actually hit something like uh, telling it to uh, upload an artifact or upload a local file. You'd need, in this case, like for the artifact upload, you need something uh, kind of useful to upload. This is being done in the build, so it's not like you have a lot of sensitive information. Um but if there were, say, sensitive environment variables, you may be able to disclose it that way. It's a cool trick. It's a nice thing to see and kind of a fun bug, especially because logging doesn't feel very privileged. It feels like, you know, you should be able to just log whatever you want. And then here it kind of gets abused. Yeah, it's got some real Log4j vibes uh, with the the impact and whatnot. And yeah, like as long as you're not logging something super sensitive directly, like a token or something, it's genuinely seen as uh, innocuous most of the time. So kind of flipping it on its head a little bit. I, I do find it like kind of uh, weird that this sort of functionality exists. It almost seems like playing with fire too much. Um, but yeah, I mean, it does, it's, but it's it interesting makes post. sense. Like you do need some way to communicate between that task runner who wants to have something actually executed at the higher level. It does kind of make sense to use logging for that because it is something that's already being processed, already being read uh, by the host. So I get why the logging shows in here. It isn't something that like Azure just decided to do and they're uh, just doing that uh, regardless of... Uh, would anybody else would do like this is something the others also do like i mentioned i'm pretty sure we've had a very similar issue in uh in like the github actions so they're kind of following just standard practice for that feels a little bit dangerous but i don't know i feel like maybe just being able to whitelist like saying this task should be to access these actions would be a good first step to kind of limit this or being able to turn off or only turning on these sorts of things when you're actually going to use them. Cause they are definitely getting used. Like this isn't some like obscure functionality, but it is something that maybe they should have a way to kind of lock it down a little bit more. But in fairness, the vulnerability they actually found here is kind of minimal and requires like a reasonable degree of attacker control in there. Yeah, though it is in Azure Pipelines, um, which is, you know, going to be used quite a bit in CICD, so. Yeah, there's other ways this could be reached. It's just the example there isn't very strong in their dummy example, the one they used to kind of talk through the issue, which I guess they didn't talk about the top the uh, topic, but effectively they just had an example where an environment variable was being used uh, to download a file and run it, so you could use, like, the set variable command to change that and tell it where to load it from. Yeah. All right. Uh, so our next post is on attacking Android antivirus applications, um, which is, it's a bit of a weird vulnerability in the way that it's so generic. And uh, it, it can be hard to see what the vulnerability is because it's so simple. Um, you almost like overthink it. But yeah, uh, Z, I'll let you get into this one because uh, I know you, you like the AppSec stuff. Yeah, and I have seen this sort of issue. Like, this is a very classic mobile issue. 
core or the place where this starts is you've got a mobile application, in this case, a fairly privileged application, a security application or security VPN. Um, won't get into how effective those can actually be, but um, you've got a security application it exposes its main activity to be triggered through like an intent. So any application can set up, uh, can trigger the intent and launch the main activity. Doesn't sound so bad. The main activity is, or it doesn't sound so bad. Like main activity doesn't sound like a dangerous function. Doesn't sound like something you shouldn't have access to. But as they dug into the main activity a little bit, they found that that was basically just the wrapper to launch uh, some an embedded or a nested intent. So it would basically just read the uh, first extra that gets passed in with the intent. Uh, effectively, you give it the intent. You give it a bunch of extras with it. You can dig into that on your on exactly how that works in your own time. But uh, the first extra, it looks for just the trigger messaging. Yeah, looks for this uh, trigger messaging, which just tells it kind of to go into this next flow. The next flow reads the screen extra, um, and that just takes in a value like the class name and then a bunch of key values for whatever extra values you want. Uses that to craft another activity and uh, starts that new intent with whatever you want. So what's important there is, well, that first one, you could launch the main activity. With the right arguments to the main activity, it'll launch any intent that you want it to. Uh, so in this example here, they basically use that just to start a phone call. That's one of the permissions this has is the Android permission call phone. So they can launch the intent to start a phone call from basically anywhere and to anywhere. Uh, but you can use this to gain access to more privileged uh, things else. The content provider would be one example. Um, basically, this is a very privileged application. So the fact that it'll launch any other privilege or it'll launch any other intent that you want it can be used to leverage that to read information that you probably shouldn't have uh, because all of the, the nested intent that's being run, that's coming from the privileged application. So it has permission to read the logs. I, I mean, access network state isn't actually that privileged there, but uh, it has a bunch of permissions that you probably wouldn't want otherwise. Uh, out of chat, uh, Meth 38 attacking rootkit. So it's not quite a rootkit. Um, these are, it is still limited by the Android permission system and what this specific application has. But because this specific application is fairly privileged, it's not like a root app. It is still kind of your normal privileges. It's, uh, it's not like a service or something as part of Android core. Uh, it's, it's not quite that far, but you can trigger some of these other activities which may be to do something useful in a lot of cases it's more just triggering the actions like the call you're not necessarily being able to read everything uh but that is kind of the sort of uh my my apologies there for cutting out um this it's a sort of thing where you may be able to leverage this depending on what application you see it in. But it's going to be very context specific. In this case, you know, it's things like starting a phone call. In other cases, it may be accessing files 
asking your blue hat right yeah we both both of us on the podcast here uh just do security research yeah uh and this is like this sort of scenario is pretty similar to what you see in windows um antiviruses and stuff are a pretty good target in windows for similar reasons uh both in the way that they're you know more privileged they're straightforward forward privilege escalation vector um they also typically have more of these meme issues because uh the, the code just isn't very good or not very resilient so i've always um, been surprised by security products not having very good security in a sense it, like you can make sense of it by saying well you know the security professionals are thinking about like more on the offensive side and not really all the defensive things and how difficult that is um, or, you know, you're more used to maybe having hacks and just getting it done rather than proper development process. But I've always been surprised by how stupid some of the issues we see in security products are. Um, this is really just another example of that, being able to trigger any intent, inc- including the privileged ones. Uh, but on, like, Windows, you see it a lot worse, I think, uh, especially because in those cases they're running with, like, effectively root privileges, they'll be running a system. It's a lot more damaging. Uh, In these cases, you are still, or in this case, you're still limited by the Android system, its permission system. And, of course, you're only starting an intent. You're not necessarily getting access to much out of that, like the data it's actually reading. Yeah, it might be tricky to actually exfiltrate that information. Um... Yeah, but like one of the main takeaways I have of this post is uh, just don't install uh, Android antivirus apps. Um, I-, I must say, like I I never really understood why that really took off in the first place. Um, I-, I don't think you really need a mobile antivirus, and we've covered a few topics in the past that were based on uh, you know these types of Android apps, like these security based ones, where it was just uh, a soft target kind of sitting there with with these types of issues. Um, in this case, it was McAfee, but like we we've seen it with all, like a good number of the other ones too. So, yeah, um, and just and, in general, like intents are are a bit tricky to get right. And if you have it open in this way, where you can just like spawn arbitrary intents, basically, uh, yeah, it it makes sense that that can be abused uh, in such a way. Yeah, and that's really the root of this issue. Like, if you're hunting for this sort of thing, um, perhaps for a bounty or whatnot. That's what you're looking for. You're looking for that, like, I guess, overly dynamic activity that can be launched, like, that can do a lot more than it should be able to do. Because at its core, like, being able to launch an intent isn't necessarily all that all that bad. I mean, you export them, you say which one you want. I mean, it, it's just one of those things where... You need to understand what the intent of the application is to kind of notice it's a vulnerability. It's not like a really easy test to find this one. Yeah, you have to think through it a bit and uh, kind of lay out what it's trying to do. Yeah. Um, Linton said being able to call is pretty bad. That's practically the same thing as a, as a SIM swap. I mean, yeah, some of the permissions that are exposed here, like the other one, like reading and writing contacts, um, I could see that one being pretty... Uh, pretty damning too, especially for like more targeted attacks. Um, that could be quite quite significant. So yeah, spilling that would be difficult though. Like it can read yeah, that, true. but all you're able to do is start off like the arbitrary intent. You have this like 
the main activity in theory shouldn't be all that damaging. Like that sounds like a homepage, like, oh no, you can launch the homepage. That doesn't sound like an issue. It's only when this thing has that more arbitrary functionality to start any intent, but you need to have an intent to match up with any of these permissions. So Oh no, there's a balance here. Like this does feel very much like a write-only sort of vulnerability where you can cause certain things to happen, but you can't really read the information back, which does mitigate it. Somewhat, yeah. Um, but in general, like even though you are still restricted by Android, you know, you're not getting root or kernel or something, um, the permission set here is is fairly broad. And we've seen some pretty clever tricks before for for exfiltrating data even though it didn't seem very uh feasible at the time so um yeah, yeah. fair point i mean I'll, I'll sometimes be pessimistic there but uh you know hackers going to hack people are going to find ways to abuse whatever little access they can get yeah all right so getting into our last topic uh we have a post by Wiz Research, and it's a misconfiguration vuln in Azure Active Directory that allowed compromise of the Bing management portal. So Bing, being a Microsoft product, also leverages Microsoft's own Azure Active Directory for single sign-on uh, and Azure App Services for its management portal. And their research all started when they stumbled on this big trivia page they found on AzureWebsites.com, uh, which seemed to be some internal like Microsoft-controlled service. Uh, and when you went there, it would ask you to sign in with a Microsoft account. Um, so they were just kind of like, okay, what happens if we just sign in with, you know, a Microsoft account we had, and, uh, they found they were able to log into it, uh, even though they didn't belong to the Microsoft tenant. And when they logged in and digged through the panel, um, they started to realize that this probably isn't, uh, something that should be publicly accessible. So um, just contained... before you go into that, sorry, I do want to touch yep. on the core vulnerability here, uh, just being this idea that you have, you have this really easy way uh, uh you, I'm sorry that I didn't think I had it set up so that audio would uh, come through to you guys. Sounds like notalized notice was this by uh, ShareX. Oh, I like I said I had some audio issues before stream. That was my bad. Um. Anyway, coming back on this issue, uh, you know it's nice that they give you the ability to just enable authentication. Uh, I haven't used Azure apps here before, but I have I have some familiarity with uh, Google Firebase and having kind of used and set up that, a bit more experience over there, but either way, being able to set up the auth is nice, uh, but this sort of issue is something you could easily overlook where it's like, oh, I've added auth, I see the login page, everything must be good, and not really looking at... Um, not really looking at what the actual setting is, say this is restricted to just my tenant, or whether or not just anybody who can log in on, in this case, uh, Azure, is allowed to log in. It's one of those things that's really easy to overlook. Um, uh, in this case, it's just that supported account types, but that is a, a crazy uh, image zoom on here, but... Uh, it's super easy to overlook. It is nice that the clouds provide that, but I feel like uh, there should be more of a warning with that. Although I guess a lot of applications do kind of want to welcome everybody to uh, access or want to welcome everybody to be taxes. So it kind of makes sense, but 
Um, I guess this is kind of the whole authorization versus authentication, where in this case, it's kind of set up initially, really just providing authentication, saying, yeah, this user is here, and you still need to check their authorization to access it. Um, it's the sort of issue I have seen a number of times, so I kind of wanted to call that out. Yeah, that's fair, and that's a good way of uh, putting it with uh, authorization versus authentication. Um, and yeah, in this case, it it was quite significant um, because, yeah, like I was going to get into, in the content management portal, they noticed uh, that there was quite a bit of sensitive data, including, uh, you know, carousel tables for various queries, um, search suggestions, quizzes and background images for the Bing homepage, things like that. Um, and yeah, after playing with it, they noticed they were able to modify Bing's search results. Um, they were actually able to modify the... Uh, the carousel tables. So for those who don't know what I'm talking about there, um, I'll just bring it up. Actually, they they have a little uh, image demonstrating it. So it's like when you search up for movies or like best soundtracks um, and it'll show the images with the, you know, the nice cards and whatever. Um, that's that's what the carousel tables are. So they were able to insert their own entry into that uh, that carousel. Um, and they were also able to get XSS via the homepage. They don't really go into much detail on how they they did that and they quickly, you know, reverted it and reported it to Microsoft afterwards. Um, but they did say that with that XSS, um, it would be possible for an attacker to generate JWT tokens for Office 365, um, which could be quite significant because it could be used to fetch emails, uh, Teams messages, calendar entries, SharePoint documents, OneDrive files, um, basically anything that's attached to Office 365. Um, so that could have been a, a pretty serious impact there. But ultimately, the, the vulnerability was just the misconfiguration of uh, the big trivia content management portal for Bing uh, and the fact that they allowed auth from tenants outside of Microsoft. Um, they also state that that wasn't the only app that was vulnerable. Uh, they found several other Microsoft apps that were also vulnerable in the same way, uh, including um, like the management portal for news for MSN newsletters, uh, the central notification service API, Microsoft's internal file management system called Cosmos, which had like four or five exabytes of data or something. Um, so yeah, it, it impacted quite a few services. Um, and it just shouts out that like even Microsoft, it, like <laughs> configuring the cloud is really damn difficult to the point where Microsoft can't even really configure their own internal services properly on their own uh, like Azure service. So it, it is kind of surprising, but it is also like, it's really easy to overlook because you see the login page, you think it's just working how you expect. Like it, it is one of those issues that I I, I understand how that happens, um, but any amount of testing should caught it should have caught it very quickly. So fair, although I mean, so that is uh, you know integration testing versus unit testing. Um, a lot of testing that happens ends up being done at kind of the unit level. You look at the application, you're testing the application, and a lot less testing. Um, really kind of covers the integration points where, okay, this application doesn't have any vulnerabilities, uh, but what else, like, when you integrate it, are there any vulnerabilities introduced when you add the authentication in front of it or something like in this case? Those sorts of things just get overlooked, I think, in testing. Um, and it's something that bug bounties are good at uncovering because they're usually testing the live production environment. But yeah, I mean... Any amount of testing in theory should, but it depends on where that testing happens. A lot of places aren't really comfortable with doing testing in production either. So you kind of run into those scenarios where it can end up um, being missed. 
And jumping back a little bit to the last topic, um, Convolution said in chat earlier, some of these Android permissions now require runtime grants and are not granted by the manifest anymore. Uh, that's totally a fair point. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. But uh, yeah, that, that's a good point, uh, tying back to the last topic a little bit. Yeah, um, that, that last one, like it's definitely mitigated by a number of factors, but it's still a very privileged application giving other applications access to whatever privileges it has. Yeah. Um, like it's definitely, it's not a world ending vulnerability. I don't think, but it's still something this one. Like I was most surprised just by the fact that one, they can get XSS or their panel. Like I know it's so common that admin panels just don't have good security, but I really would have wished that Microsoft would have been, you know, a little bit better on that and not just let people do like XSS from their panel. Like it sounds like it's a feature. It's intended that you probably should be able to do that. But like, you know, the carousel here, their example there, you know, just has title, additional title, subtitle. Like somewhere in there, they're able to get XSS. I'm going to imagine that's a straightforward cross-site scripting. Like, it's literally just, like, set the title to have your take in it, because they're trusting whoever's entering it. It just would have been nice to see more defense in depth, but that really surprised me that they had it in, we're not told the details, but in apparently very trivial way, because it wasn't interesting enough. Especially when you consider where it's, like, a, you know, like, a homepage and such. Like, it, it, I don't know how many people are really using Bing, to be fair, but there probably are a fair number, especially in like business environments um, where that could be quite significant. So yeah, you'd hope for a little bit more defense in depth, but uh, you know, sometimes it just, uh, they miss the mark on that point. No, that's um, actually another thing uh, in terms of, well, I guess you reminded me of it at least, but having the whole panel for setting up those carousels surprised me a little bit too. Just that that exists, that they just like decide these questions get carousels. Makes sense. I never really thought about how they would have implemented that. I just would have thought there was more, I guess, search like engine magic to us. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, rather than it just being a panel where they have probably hundreds of those in there. But I guess it is a limited set that really are going to pull up that. I don't know. Maybe they merge and some of them have this and some, some are automated, but... Uh, 23 uh, Synapse mentions uh, because it's an internal system, they would prioritize on feature tests for secure. Yeah, no, I, I get it. Like Internal systems often have less security in general. It's just... Not to gen- this degree, generally. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> Not mean, to the degree where they're just open to everybody. Yeah, but I mean, in terms of being weaker, like it is common to see it being weaker. I just would have liked to have not seen that. Um, because it's not that hard to just have security as part of your development life cycle and thought of throughout all the stages. It still might not have caught this particular issue, but the deeper issue being able to cause the cross-site scripting is just like uh, too much trust, even for the admins. Yeah. Um, getting into a bit of a meta question, uh, Magist asked, uh, is, is y'all's research focused on vulnerabilities? Do you touch on APTs at all? Uh, not so much anymore. Um, we used to like a long time ago, cause we used to have another person on the podcast who was in the threat Intel sphere. Um, but yeah, Z and I aren't really plugged into, uh, you know, threat intelligence or, or the APT groups or anything like that. So we don't really comment on it cause 
you know, we just ha don't have much to say on it. Uh, it is kind of interesting. We we do occasionally bring it up very rarely, but yeah, it's it's not part of our our usual coverage. So, yeah, yeah. it's um as close to APTs as we get is we'll talk about, especially on our binary episode, which is tomorrow's episode, we'll talk more about uh, vulnerabilities that may have been discovered in the wild actively being used, so may have been used by an APT crew. We'll talk about it there, but um, uh, we'll talk about the vulnerabilities, because that is our focus, the vulnerability research, the exploitation, but not so much the actual like operations or... Uh, any of that about the APT groups. Except for when it directly impacted us with the North Korea stuff. <laughs> True, yeah. That was a yeah, that was that was a funny one. Um but yeah, and then Duke Jukum said, this is what happens when you fire the entire testing team in 2014. Um I'm not sure I'm not sure if you're just like memeing on that. I mean, yeah, uh could be, but it just seems like uh, it was developed very quickly. They just wanted to get something put up uh, and security just wasn't really part of that process. So, yeah, the impact here is really interesting, though, being able to manipulate a search engine, um, especially, you know, one of the more popular ones like Bing. Uh, that's that's quite an interesting attack vector and not one that I think we've ever covered on the podcast before, because it's just such a uh, something that you think would be a lot harder to mess with uh in that way so you would hope but <laughs> you would hope um, yeah yeah not in this case uh one question out of chat there so if a device is compromised oh sorry this thing's there we go if a device is compromised with the gmail email compromise it won't raise two factors and inform the owner um generally speaking like two factor is going to come to play during your login process uh, so right when you log in, but uh, things like session hijacking generally won't trigger. I'm, so I'm also speaking generally here, not specifically about Gmail. I don't know exactly how Gmail implements it, but generally it's really only at that login process where you log into the application. It's like, oh, do we need a refresh two factor? Go through that process. Um, so if you have a compromise with somebody who's already logged in on it, it's generally not going to raise the two factor. Uh, so if the device is already logged in, they're not going to be hit by two-factor until somebody tries to use the password and log in. So again, session hijacking also usually won't trip two-factor, although it can. There are some cases of them doing like, oh, this connection looks suspicious, so let's just have them refresh their password before like letting them do too much here. Um, so I can't say exactly what Gmail would do, but generally speaking, if you're compromising like a live, a live session, kind of a live access to something, you won't need to worry about two-factor authentication. Yeah, and then NotLies said, uh, isn't it crazy that Microsoft has so many employees, but they still have so many bugs that can be very harm harmful for them? So to be fair, generally, like among the bigger companies, um, Microsoft seems to land better uh, in the security sphere than a lot of other companies. Um, a lot of the problems that they have are kind of inherited from like older code and legacy support and things like that. Um, I mean, I'm talking a little bit more on window on the windows side of things there. Uh, we have covered a fair amount of Azure issues, but like I've said, like cloud uh, cloud kind of spawns its own entire class of issues. And we we've covered issues on, on a lot of different cloud platforms too. Um, so, you know, Microsoft is kind of the, the focus of the podcast on this episode, but um you know, they're they're not exclusive in that club. Um, 
generally Microsoft is pretty good. It's just unfortunate that on this specific instance, uh, it seems like the the ball got dropped fairly hard, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's hard. Like, when you're a big company, you've got a lot of vulnerabilities just by the nature of the scale. You know, Google has a ton of vulnerabilities, too. Microsoft in particular, though, is also a very juicy target because they've got, like, so much capture of the business market. Uh, So, like, everything around there is going to be a target. Of course, every uh, like, so many people use Windows, so that's going to be another big target where they're going to have a ton of vulnerabilities. And then, of course, as Spectre also mentioned, like, the legacy aspect inheriting something. On Windows especially, that legacy is where a lot of vulnerabilities come in. You know, the Win32 subsystem. Uh all of that, where just so many bugs come out of these older features that they probably don't want to keep, but they kind of have to keep it uh, just because of the history behind it. So I don't know. I mean, I don't think it's too crazy that they have so many bugs. Getting security right is hard. Like, I can give them that much. Um, Their bug bounty seems pretty, so, like, they're taking a number of the right steps. I believe internally, you know, they're actively doing testing. I don't have a lot of insight into exactly their process, but, you know, they've adopted fuzzing. They've given back out to the research community in terms of some of their own tooling, although some of that they also keep internal, but I don't know. They, They seem to be doing all right. I think it's just a matter of scale that they have so many bugs rather than uh, an indication that they are terrible. Yeah. Um, the issue is every bug they fix, four more will get found. They will always be trying to catch up. Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of the common sentiment. Um, you know, the more code you write, the more complicated features you deploy. It's it's easier to have mistakes. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I do have some things I wanted to bring up, but it's a little bit more on the binary side of things, so I'll keep it out of this episode. Um, but yeah, I mean, th- there is, like, active work being done on the defensive side, and, uh, you know, that shouldn't be discounted, uh, I don't think. So. Yeah, I mean, it's an issue across every product out there. As there's more development, there are more bugs. Um, I think what really matters is the process that's going into, one, mitigating issues. Uh, you know, so if an issue does happen, they're mitigated, so they can't do as much damage. That's where, like, not letting the admin panel having give you, give you XSS would have been a good step. So it's not great. Um, I don't know. I, I don't like hating on companies just because they're bugs. I would rather look at what their response has been to the bugs that they've had. Uh, I, I don't know. I've run into all those conversations where someone's like, oh, no, this random little project. Like, it's super secure. Nobody's ever reported a CV in it. And that's just because nobody's locked, not because it's more secure. Yeah, we always like to judge based on the uh, the responses, as uh, uh, Kobaja said in chat, um, as well as, you know, the processes that are going on. And I will say also that Microsoft has a pretty good uh, Vuln research and bounty program as well. Um, for certain target, like for certain products, especially, they pay pretty well. Like I'm thinking of, you know, Hyper-V and stuff like that, which, again, I won't go into too much here. Um, I'm not sure on on the website of things uh, how good like their VRP and bounty stuff is. Um, Z just brought up the disclosure timeline there uh, on the blog. You can see you know MSRC that's Microsoft's Research Center. Um, it got reported and it got fixed fairly quickly. So 
uh, and they got a 40,000. Yeah, there you go. $40,000 bug bounty. So MS in general is pretty good with uh, paying out and, you know, being fair to researchers. So I, I've always appreciated that. And uh, it's it's one point I've always liked to, sh- liked to shout out in their favor when we cover uh, issues affecting them. So if you're looking for a target and, you know, you want to do bug bounty research, a Microsoft target is probably a fair place to look. Um yeah, yeah, I mean, they did have the drama back with the Simlink issues when they had a ton of those being reported. Well, no, I mean, not the true Simlinks that needs admin, but the uh, four shot trick. Um, when they had a bunch of those, and then they kind of dropped the scope to disallow it. Um, and yeah, in this case, I just pulled the disclosure timeline to take a look at how long it took them to patch it. And I mean, I say it, but there were several bugs here. Like took them about a month to uh, fix everything. So better than a lot of companies we've seen. We've definitely seen faster on some types of issues. But given kind of the breadth of this one, I think it's pretty fair. I mean, especially since they did start fixing these things. I imagine like that Bing trivia one would have been pretty quickly fixed and in there on like the first. Uh, they started within a couple of days. So. I don't know. Timeline seems all right to me. Not great, but a lot better than a ton of places, too. And get, again, given the scale here, a month really seems pretty fair. And yeah, the payout's fine, in my opinion. I think some bug bounty hunters would uh, say it should be more, but I feel like it's a hard crowd to please sometimes. <laughs> Yeah, and like I said earlier, there was also, you know, multiple applications that were vulnerable, and I don't think they even knew, like, exactly how many. Um, you know, Microsoft could have started diving into it and figured, found there were, like, you know, tens or, dare I say, hundreds of, of applications they had that were vulnerable to the same type of issue. So, yeah, it, it very well could have taken a, a fair amount of time to go to go through them all and fix them all properly. And Sunco5 asks, what other companies has this also been seen? This specific issue, I believe we have seen something similar with a Google endpoint. Unfortunately, I don't recall exactly what the issue was. In that case, it wasn't exactly this, uh, but it was kind of an overly permissa. Actually, I do feel like we talked about a series of these sorts of issues just with an overly permissive OAuth system. Um, Maybe late last year. I don't recall offhand, but when offloading authentication, uh, as you're kind of doing with these applications, in this case, you know, the Azure apps, but even using other services for that, it can get tricky when you're like, oh, I want to let this person with their Gmail address on here too. So let's just enable Gmail login, not realizing that um, borrowing the terminology from here the tenants are kind of open to everybody with the gmail instead of just the one account you wanted uh because you've manually added that one account not kind of realizing the implications of it i've seen that with other auth systems too so i can't say specifically what other companies have seen this issue but it's not exactly an unheard of vulnerability either yeah it's just the impact that's kind of uh a bit unique in this case yeah, for that from what we covered. Yeah. All right. So that's all the topics we have for this week. So thank you to everyone who tuned in. Again, apologies for people that might have got baited in by the view count. Like I said, we were view botted. Um, but if you were brought in and, and found the stream interesting, um, we do these every week. We uh, we have the bounty podcast on Monday 
at 3 p.m. Eastern, uh, 12 p.m. Pacific, and binary episodes where we go more into, uh, you know, binary level issues like memory corruption. Um, we have those on Tuesday. That's at 7 p.m. Eastern, um, 4 p.m. Pacific. And uh, yeah, so hopefully some of you enjoyed it uh, and we'll stick around. Uh, we always uh, love to see new people coming in. And uh, yeah, so that's all the topics we have. Again, thanks everyone who tuned in. Uh, recent episodes can be found on Twitch and all of them are up on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more links on Anchor. Discord and Twitter links are also down below or in the chat. And yeah, we'll be back tomorrow, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific for the binary topics, uh, which is also where we'll cover the spot, the Vaughn solution. And we'll see you then.